0: Hello and welcome to Mallow Street Talks. My name's Amy Hollywood and I'll be taking you through some different topics from the pensions industry. This season aims to focus on some hot topics with the unique focus of trying to help younger people understand the pension world better. This episode focuses on the world of fintech. Join me in conversation with the CEO of Money Hub Sam Seaton.
1: I mean I call it like you know what is it?
2: tinder you know for your money
0: financial writer speaker and broadcaster iona bain you know the fintech genie is out of the bottle it's not going back in so we need to learn how to work with it and georgia stewart the ceo of tumelo as we discuss different important issues impacting our industry and how fintech plays a part in that to kick things off i'm here with iona bain iona How important is fintech as a tool to the pensions industry? I think there have been huge improvements in financial technology
2: over the past 10 years. But cash itself faces an existential threat from digital finance. And the most extreme example of that is cryptocurrency and digital assets. And I think this is all really changing the way that young people think about money. They now expect most, if not their entire Financial experience to be digital. So I just don't think the pensions industry has any choice but to use technology as a tool to help people save more, to nudge them into making better decisions, to signpost them to useful advice and services and so on. But I don't think it's the entire answer. I mean, technology cannot be the complete solution to all the problems that have dogged the pensions industry uh, for some time. You know, as an independent observer of the pensions industry, I think there's pretty huge fault lines running through it. And I'm not sure that there is that basic agreement across the board on some pretty simple issues. I don't think we should exaggerate the influence and the take up of fintech as well, because I think whilst it's going to become more widely adopted as time goes on, it's, it's still not mass market yet. There are still huge numbers of people out there who have never heard of Monzo. So I think us within the industry, people who write about it, people who work within the industry, we're in danger of, of overstating just how much uh, of an influence FinTech is having on people. But nonetheless, I do think the pensions industry owes it to young savers to really explore what's possible with open banking, whether there are cleverer ways to get people to also save for their retirement. And there is the time bomb of multiple micro pension pots, and that could really explode in the coming years. And I just don't see any other way of dealing with that unless we have a unified technological response, uh, such as through the pensions dashboard. So technology is not a silver bullet, but it's got to be part of the pensions industry toolkit in the future.
0: You say fintech has to be a part of the pensions industry moving forward. In that case, why is pension innovation so slow i mean there's greenwich mean time and then there's
2: pensions industry time it's about a decade behind everything else (laughs) (laughs) i mean that is a bit harsh but i think there's a ring of truth to that we have seen some action in quite a short space of time on some key issues i mean auto enrollment uh was accomplished uh which in and of itself was 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 a great achievement. I mean I think that in a in a way we shouldn't rush to judgment about the long-term success of auto enrolment because of all these issues surrounding small pension pots and engagement and so on but
0: in terms of actually achieving something within pensions I mean it was it was fairly miraculous. And Iona Bain is not the only one to agree with the opinion that pension innovation is slow. Sam Seaton also had some thoughts on why that might be.
1: So I think I think everyone will acknowledge that the pension industry is is not on at the forefront of tech. I, I think that's just it's just a fact. But my that that is also quite exciting in a way because I would argue that we're probably in the pension industry so far behind that actually we can now leapfrog to the next level and uh, miss all this bit in the middle. Because yeah. if you think about um, in Africa where they kind of bypassed you know Visa and 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 MasterCard in terms of credit cards, they just went straight to pay by phone. Mm. And, you know, just direct, you know, so they kind of missed the whole bit in the middle, didn't they? You know, they they just kind of let. So I think we should take some encouragement from that and think to, 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 you know, as an industry, you know, in effect, don't let the fact that we we perhaps have fallen way behind put us off and actually just reset and think, actually, this is our time to move and we can move in the same way that you know other countries and other communities have done so, where they've actually leveraged you know what what's available now. And the brilliant thing about the technology environment as well is that a lot of tech, you know, our platform is one of them, which you know sits on top of legacy platforms. Mm-hmm. So they can, you know, it's like the swan. You know, you can actually have the swan, which is quite busy underneath, but you know the the technology is doing all the work now and, and can be set up to do all the work. So, you know, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm.
0: And we'll hear more from both Sam and Iona later on in the show. Now, we're going to hear a little bit more about Tumelo. I get to speak with the CEO, Georgia Stewart, to find out about what Tumelo is offering and how this could make some changes to the pensions industry in the near future.
3: So, Tumelo is an engagement and advocacy tool, I would say. We help pension members to see what companies they are investing in through their pension fund and to give them a voice at those companies on issues they care about like gender equality or racial diversity, CEO pay or climate change, for example. We take that voice from pension members um, and we send it to people in the financial system who have the power to use that voice to make change. And by that, we specifically mean shareholder voting So people who manage your pension fund on behalf of you are able to vote at the companies that you are invested in and forcing them to improve on their climate change or gender or racial diversity policies and and behaviors. Um, And by knowing what underlying pension members care about, they are able to more accurately represent your values when they vote at those company um, shareholder resolutions. Have you ever wondered where the wad of pension money taken from your paycheck each month actually goes? With your pension you have power to make them better for you and the world. Here's how. Companies host meetings every year where shareholders vote on important issues affecting how they're run, like climate change, gender equality and human rights. When shareholders vote a certain way, companies need to listen and change how they operate. Here's where you come in. The first time your pension provider is giving you a voice on these issues too, that you can see the companies in your pension and have your say on the shareholder questions they're voting on.
0: We've just had a snippet of one of your adverts for Chimelo. Could you just tell us a little bit more about the impact that finance has on environmental and social issues that some people might not realise?
3: Yeah, sure. So if you think about the stock market, the stock market is um, basically made up of companies. It's very simplified. But um, when a company gets um, big enough, then it can raise money through the stock market by kind of IPOing You might have seen Deliveroo doing that, for example.
0: IPO stands for Initial Public Offering. This is the first time a company's stock is available to buy on a stock exchange by the general public. But this unfortunately didn't go so well for Deliveroo. Many people blamed bad timing as one of the reasons why, which is fundamental to having a successful IPO.
3: Now, typically the average member of the public, so the average pension member, for example, doesn't buy a direct share in a company like Deliveroo. Instead, they buy into that company through a fund. And a fund is um, like a financial product that owns lots of individual companies inside one product. It's like a basket of, of companies. And so if you buy a piece of that basket and you kind of automatically indirectly own Deliveroo and Amazon and Google and Shell and Exxon and you know, British American tobacco whatever. So you don't have that much choice in, in, in what companies you have. You only can choose which fund you buy. And then you also don't really have a voice at those companies because the person that has the power in that situation is the person running the fund and you kind of buy into their service, if that makes sense. So when it comes to the power that you have as a shareholder or the power that financial markets have, it's really about dictating the behavior and the policies and the operations of those underlying companies. So if you think about a company like Exxon, it's um, executive team are working to drive profit Um, from Exxon's products and services, and they're doing that on behalf of shareholders. So essentially they're doing that on behalf of the fund that is invested in it and the underlying shareholders who are invested in that fund, i.e. me and you. So if we as suppliers of capital to Exxon by buying a share, we're giving them money, if we're saying we want we're going to give you this money but we want you to be have a more aggressive climate transition or we want you to improve your plastic packaging if you're amazon or you know we want you to improve workplace diversity then um you know you have power because you're making an exchange of value in that in that sense and so really the the effect the financial markets have on the environment it's not the financial markets themselves because they're just kind of like a construct they're just kind of in your mind Actually, the thing that has the effect is that it's the company and it's the operations of that company that is being invested in at the end of the line on not just the environment but also on communities and you know how they treat workers in their supply chain and all sorts of things.
0: A lot of people in the industry say that the way to engage with younger people um, is through different kind of methods, things such as apps. What I'd be interested to know is—is is this actually true in, in your in your guys case? Yeah. So I guess to clarify.
3: We could be an app, but technically we are um, a software play. And what that really means is that we plug in to other services. So we can work with apps and and, an existing investment or pension app can plug into Melo's voting feature so that people can access it within an app or if you run a pension website, then you can plug our features into your website and then they'll be accessible through the website. So it does, it's not all app and mobile-based. It depends how the investment platform or the pension platform we're working with like, wants to put it into practice. However, we do exist in app form through some of those partnerships that we have. And I think we do see generally that apps drive really good engagement. And we certainly see that the younger demographic makes up the kind of highest age group um, in terms of usage of Tomello so between 25 and 36 I think it is that we maybe have like 40 or 30 or 40 percent of users in that age bracket and then there's a long tail of people that are much older than that and, and also very interested that the majority of people in in terms of in a single age group are in the younger end of the spectrum and I think maybe because they are you know more used to those kind of grassroots climate and diversity movements and, and you know it's generally been the younger cohorts who have engaged in things like BLM and that type of thing I, that I think you maybe see that response on our platform.
0: Yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense. i was just wondering how many um, UK schemes are using Chimelo at the minute? Oh
3: um. So we have about 10 platform customers at the moment, like live um, from really large pension providers like Legal in general and Aviva all the way through to kind of, well, I guess, medium players like Cushion down to much smaller FinTech apps that haven't even launched as well. So we have a real range of customers. Um, and then, in, so the, the schemes is only relevant to the pension side because we do also work with retail investment. Um, but on the pension side, we're probably live with, Uh, maybe like 15 schemes maybe 20 I'm not actually perfectly sure of the number but somewhere around that and again some of them are really small charities and some of them are really large like high street banks and high street supermarkets that you would know the name of
0: great yeah no that's really interesting it's really good to know Kind of going back to talking about understanding where your pensions are going, what your pensions are investing in. I was just wondering, how did people, before Chimelo came about, how did people kind of engage with these issues?
3: Um, It's pretty difficult. I mean, we actually, probably our biggest company challenge is getting hold of this information. <laughs> you're told you have a pension pot right or like your pension is with this provider and then you if you want to actually know okay which funds do I have then you maybe have to do some digging to work out what companies are inside each of those fund no each of those kind of baskets I described earlier really difficult sometimes you'll get to see the top 10 but you'll very rarely get to see the full list of 100 that's probably in there maybe more um and then in order to work out what votes are coming up at those companies which your fund manager is going to have a say on you'd need at the moment, probably to go and research on each individual company's website um, to know when their AGM was. And then you look for the questions. Basically, really difficult. <laughs> um, and then you can't have a voice. So as an indirect investor, the best bet you have is to be able to have done all that research and then email your fund manager and say, like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Fund Manager, I really care about animal welfare at Walmart so I want you to vote against this factory farming issue like and that's the type of thing that you'd be expected to do so we're talking like three days of work for you basically to do any of this there's a lot more help for institutional investors but which is like your big foundations and your kind of big fund managers but for individual people like you and me it's basically impossible to know what's going on
0: Wow yeah I was thinking that just as you were ending the same thing that like for the everyday person you'd have to go through so many hoops and you'd have to know exactly where to go in the first place and then once you know it's not exactly straightforward so that is quite crazy to to hear I think as well kind of following on from that what challenges does understanding more about what you're investing in bring if there are any challenges in your opinion?
3: Yeah, there are definitely some people, like Richard Butcher, uh, chair of the PLSA, did write um, an article about how if you engage people, then it might motivate them to just take all their money out of their pension. Um, I think realistically, that's a very unlikely scenario. The more educated and informed people are, the more likely they are to make good decisions. Like there is there is a challenge at the moment that they may make a rash decision if you just tell them a tiny thing and then they can't get the right answers they need. And then then they're like, oh, gosh, what's going on? I'm going to pull all my money out. But I think if you have done your research, which we have, and you engage them in a way that kind of holds their hand through a satisfying process where they get feedback and they have the answers and there's clear FAQs and people answer their emails if they're confused, then, you know, the likelihood of someone having learned more and then decide to take all their money out as a result of that is less Than if someone knows nothing and just knows that there's 300 quid coming off their bank statement or their their payslip every month and they have no idea where it's going. They're much more likely to stop that than they are if they understand. So I think that realistically, you cannot be too educated. You cannot be too informed. If you get to the point where you're so informed that you want to kind of make your own decisions about your investments, then there's plenty of apps that allow you to do that, like Free Trade and Harvey Steinstein. And, you know, you can keep your pension where it is and then you can spend more time you know becoming more aware of, of individual stocks for example and um, yeah for me there's there's not really a negative outcome to helping people understand more.
0: Right I, and I, I agree I think one of the things the positive things that I've actually also heard about Tumelo is just how clear the communication is. A similar kind of question would be um, what kind of feedback have you had on Tumelo by clients and, and scheme members? Yeah,
3: from various levels, like providers really like what we do because we help people come back to the platform. I was just looking at some data the other day where 50% of the people that come back to Tamelo's homepage then click through to their provider's homepage from ours. So that's half the people that come to our platform to vote are then going back to their pension portal and looking at how much money they have invested and thinking about where that is and kind of updating their email information and all the things that providers need people to do. So providers like it and then workplaces like it because it helps them to provide more sustainable investment options. Um, And then of course, yeah, we have great feedback from from pension members. I tell you, like the feedback really varies because we have some people that use the platform and they're like, hey, I didn't even know my pension was invested. This is crazy. Um, How come it's invested in so many companies? Because, you know, your pension might be invested in like 2000 companies. And most people coming onto our platform, I think like two thirds of people at the moment don't know their pension's even invested. So forget about voting. Just like showing people that it's invested in companies is is, great for most people. And then taking it to the second step, if they get as far as to get engaged with the voting, then. And they are giving us feedback like well it's great to have a voice and it's really good to see what my fund manager is doing because we we send the voice to the fund manager but we also send the result back to the individual so a pension member can say okay I think Procter and Gamble should do better on deforestation but then they're going to get to see if their fund manager actually agreed with them. And if their fund manager did ask Procter & Gamble to do that, or if they just kind of let it slip. And and that then, you know, empowers people to take some action. And if their fund manager is constantly not voting with them, you know, they can ask the question or they could move their money depending on how motivated they are to take action.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds great. Thank you so much for um, speaking with me and for featuring on this podcast. Great, well, thank you very much for having me, Amy, and to you too. Our next conversation is with Sam Seaton, the CEO of MoneyHub. She's going to share some thoughts about what MoneyHub do and how the pensions industry can keep up with the innovations of fintech. Hi, Sam. Hi, Amy. Hi, Mellow Street. For listeners that might not be so familiar with MoneyHub, would you mind just telling us a little bit about it, what it does, and I guess a little bit of history behind it?
1: Yeah, so MoneyHub first started actually when it won Finovate Europe in uh, 2014, and um, it kind of hit hit the ground running so so much so that uh, Momentum bought the business outright. You know, from from Dave and Toby at the time. Dave's our CTO, still with us today, uh, wrote the first line of code of MoneyHub. Wow. So they bought it outright because they are so excited. And for those in the audience that don't know who Momentum are, South Africa South African insurer very much like Aviva in the UK, but in South Africa. So large, um, you know, insurer. And their idea, which was completely sound, was to use MoneyHub, you know, the, the platform to underpin all that they did for their customers. So it didn't matter where the customer entered or exited, you know, on that particular day or at that particular point in their life, they would start to literally be able to service the customer from beginning to end. And, and, and so, you know, roll forward, they had to, um, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, stop all their UK arms of their businesses for a little bit while they focused on South Africa because of the climate, political climate, economic climate. And so that's when we had the opportunity to buy the business from them, which they were thrilled about, actually, because they really wanted it to keep going because they, they obviously you know, loved it. Uh, so, so that anyway, so we, so we got to MBO the business in February, 2018. So that's when we, you know, myself, Dave and a few others actually, um, took on the business and
0: we've not stopped since then. That's such an exciting history for such an exciting app. Going a bit more towards the topic of, um, our podcast episode today. Um, I just was wondering if you were able to kind of explain a little bit about what open finance is and what open banking is. I
1: always kind of start at quite a high level, which is that, Open banking, I think, is one-dimensional. Open finance is two-dimensional. And open data is the full 3D. And that is where the world is heading. But just to bring it back to what is open banking? You know, why do we do this? Well, open banking is a legislative change. It comes under a a legislative uh, change called the Payments Service Directive version 2, because there was a version 1. And the Payments Service Directive, PSD 2, is what it's kind of known as. That is what's behind open banking. So open banking is what the UK has has, I guess, termed PSD2, because actually the UK went ahead of the rest of the world with that legislation. And that's because really what the whole point of it was is to break the hold that the banks have, in particular the CMA9, have on, on our transactions and our data in, in relation to our money. So if you think about it, you know, the the fact that, you know, you have to have a bank account now, can't get paid without one, can't get your pension paid by the government without one. So there isn't, it's not negotiable. You have to have a bank account. And so therefore, you know, by definition, the banks almost have a captive audience, don't they, in terms of people. And there was some, you know, concern that that's not quite the right setup. Mm -hmm. So literally open banking is about making a fairer level of playing field for all businesses. And what it really means, you know, for the people listening on this podcast, is that they can now actually, you know, interact with their customers in exactly the same way that a bank can today. And they can do that by encouraging a value exchange in terms of we'd like to help you sweep money into your pension, benefit from the tax break you get from that, and actually we will make that automated. And, and they can do that in a way that is seamless and automatic for people like you and me. And they can only do that because of this PSD2 regulation and because of what we call open banking.
0: Right. That makes sense. In your opinion, do you think that open finance is kind of a solution to solving youth engagement? You know, there's a lot of talk in the pensions industry about how to engage people in general, um, even bigger talk about youth. Um, yeah. Is, is open finance a solution to this? Can it aid it? What What do you think? So. So I'm obviously biased, right? So but, but yes, because if you think
1: about just the way the world works, really fundamentally, we would not be obsessed by education of our children, of, of the world at large, if we didn't think that knowledge was, was not something that people should have to empower them, you know, to be to be able to make informed decisions, you know, even about their life, forget money for a second. We wouldn't wouldn't be obsessed, would we? I mean, we just, you know, and the world is obsessed and rightly so. Because to me, knowledge, you know, enables you to make informed decisions. So why wouldn't we want to embrace open finance to allow people to see everything in one place effortlessly? Then why wouldn't we want to automate the insight, which by the way, people want more of not less of. They have no worry about, you know, algorithms in the background running over their data and saying, hey, what about this? Or have you thought about that? No problem at all. In fact, they think it's brilliant. I mean, I call it like, you know, what is it? Tinder, you know, for your money. You know, you can swipe left. I don't, I don't care, you know, and you can swipe right. I think that, that's, uh, yeah, I want to do that. So why wouldn't we want to do that to enable people to be more informed, you know, have it at their fingertips and therefore make better decisions all the way through the journey they're on? Because actually we, we know in the position that we're in that the earlier you start, you know, the better the decisions you make sooner, the
0: quicker you benefit and the less impact it has. Coming back to MoneyHub, um, I was just kind of wondering what feedback has um, the Money Hub app received in the years that it's been running? Have there been um, any kind of concerns, especially recently around the rise of scams with COVID? It would be great to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so look,
1: I think you're going to find people are in two camps. There's
0: a group that are terribly worried about everything
1: going online and and being accessible and a feeling that it could be excellent let me give you an example so I had a a friend that said to me oh well I, I can't put money hub on my phone if I lose my phone you know that that would be everything you know if someone got in that's they've got everything about me financially you know all in one place I can't do that so then I said to them I said well you know but all the all the pieces that you've got in effect, that underpin that. So, you know, your Hargreaves Lansdown account and your SIP with AJ Bell and your, you know, your, um, you know, your Lloyds Bank account and your Santander. You know. Do you have all of those apps on your phone? What? Well, yes. And I'm like, and when you go into those apps, you can actually transact, can't you? You know, you can move money about in your AJ Bell SIP, I think, you know, from what I know, you know. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, so, so don't you think it would be better to have, actually none of them on your phone and actually just have Money Hub, where actually you can see it all. And actually, if you want to make a transaction, then you, then you go on in, into the specific one to do that. But don't you think if you're worried about your phone, you shouldn't have any of them on your phone in the first place. And you only do that when you're at home on your laptop. And they looked at me and they're like, I have never thought of it like that. People are not thinking logically. And I get that because that's the whole premise of behavioral economics. We, we don't. Human beings do not think logically uh, when it comes to our money. So it's part of the reason we're sitting here today, actually. Isn't it better that if there is something going wrong somewhere that the person sees it instantly? It's like, oh, someone's actually accessed my such and such a pension because I've just seen the access. I've just seen it ping up in, in money Hub. I guess my pushback, you know, the apps that are being downloaded, the most popular apps, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, TikTok, YouTube, it's time for the pension industry to embrace what consumers are doing and understand that the expectation of what we do with them is not being set by us, it's being set
0: out here. MoneyHub. It's your data protected that was just a small clip of one of your adverts. You have quite a long advert talking about data protection, so i've got to ask the obvious: what can you say to listeners to inform them about how you protect their data?
1: I think they'd probably like to understand probably a little bit more about the detail you know of how it actually works and how it's more secure and you know definitely reach out on that, but just just to kind of reassure people just to give them a bit of, a bit more sense about how this happens so Going back to um, you know the security issue, which I think is you know is, is it is it, I mean don't get me wrong it's very important I mean it, you know we need to keep people's money safe, but just just so people understand the way that data is stored in the modern architecture, so not in the legacy systems which actually a lot of them will have, mm-hmm. is it's distributed databases and the and the reason I wanted to just explain it is because when you put your all your data into MoneyHub and you see it all in one place, behind the scenes what's happening is that gets distributed across many servers and it's all separated. And each key between all the data is also separate. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that if you think about it in terms of, actually you you can see everything in one place, but even if someone stole all the servers, you know, from, from wherever we're storing the data, all of them, when they actually uncouple the servers, all they're going to get is the equivalent to like shredded paper. Wow. Because, you know, your name, you know, Amy, is on this server. And then there's a key that's linked to another line of your data on that server that's a key linked to another line. It. So even when you get all the servers, I get Amy, Sam, and Ben from one. It's like, well, it's not helpful, is it? I mean, what, I can't do anything with that. And, and the effort, the effort to try and put together all of that data and all of those keys actually... They're not going to head there. That's not where they're going to head to try and, you know, breach, if you like. That's not the first point of call. There's way easier places. And actually, unfortunately, it is with the legacy systems, wow. you, know, they, you know, because they're not that isn't how they're engineered. So what I would say is, you know, you want you want to move
0: with the technology because it is getting safer, and more secure. Thank you for explaining that. I think that's a really good point to make. And it's reassuring as well to hear from somebody like yourself who has a great knowledge in that area. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and for featuring on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. It's great. Lovely to meet you. So now we've heard from two platforms in the world of fintech that are making changes that are having impacts on the pensions industry. Now we're going to speak to financial writer, speaker and broadcaster, Iona Bain. She's also the author of a book called Own It, which is all about how young people can start investing. She's going to share some thoughts with us on how she believes fintech is impacting the world of pensions and what to do with all of this information about all of these great platforms. How, as a saver, are you supposed to know, you know, which new app to use or what what fintech is is the best, and how are you supposed to gauge that?
2: Well, the short answer is you don't know which app to use and and how to navigate fintech um, to make it work for you. Um, the longer answer is that we are in the very early stages of open banking. We have digital only banks with no physical branches increasingly targeting themselves at younger customers and forcing the mainstream banks to really up their game in terms of technology and younger people now primarily judge their bank based on how good the app is i think that that's the beginning of 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 a young person's journey, if you like, when it comes to fintech, not to use a cheesy, overused word, but still, I think that that's where they begin the process of understanding about financial technology. But there's still a little bit of um, reluctance around open banking. Yes, young people are are comfortable exchanging their data uh, for services. Uh, They understand that data is, is becoming the new currency, whether they like it or not but that doesn't mean that they're fully embracing that change yet and so i think it's going to take a long time before open banking becomes really normalized and also i mean every week i get press releases announcing the launch of a new fintech app uh, that's going to revolutionize the financial industry and change the way that people manage their finances i realize that really you've got a hold judgment you've got to you've got to reserve your judgment until um, you've seen that app has really reached an audience and, and that you've started seeing it really work for people out there. As things stand, there's there's, there's no way of people kind of really understanding which apps work for them. It's a, pro- it's a process of trial and error. They have to go out there, they have to try them. If only there was a way for us to understand which are the best apps for our needs and purposes. Um, but I think that's probably too much to ask for.
0: It's so interesting how the app experience really does change um i mean i can only speak for people of my age group really does change what people go for i hear conversations all the time of my friends just being like oh i don't use this bank anymore because i can't really send money that easily so now i'm using this bank or oh it's it's harder to split the bill with that app and it's all about the app experience it's just so mind-blowing how that's what we focus on now
2: i think it's not just about people enjoying A banking app and and finding it fun and easy to use. I think people will increasingly see the need to have a good banking app as a way to protect their finances and keep themselves safe. So a good example of this is the fact that my brother recently um, didn't realise that he had fraud on his account until his bank phoned him up to tell him. But I think that if he had had access to a better banking app, he would have much more easily spotted that fraud. I think it's inevitable that, that, that we're going to see wider take-up and that people are going to expect not just banks, but all financial companies to offer apps that are as intuitive and, and helpful as that.
0: Yeah. Do you think that technology is something that will disrupt or already is disrupting the traditional savings environment? And what will be the effect on the industry and savers? Because um, I'm also thinking a little bit about how young people can, you know, speculate on stocks rather than pensions, you know, they mm. they see that investment, they think they see that as like strategic investment for long term, but actually yeah. pensions can also be that strategic investment for long term. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yes, it's a very good point. I think technology is definitely already disrupting um, the, the whole financial market. Um, it's disrupting how young people see their finances. Um, and the pensions industry has has got to um, grapple with that uh, and, and try to uh, come up with its own compelling uh, proposition, if you like, in this new world, um, rather than uh, take the attitude that, um, you know, it's pensions sit apart from everything else in glorious isolation. I don't think that 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 particular attitude will hold. Um, I think we need to change the language that we use around pensions in retirement. That's a, a really important first step. And I think that we start that actually, in my opinion, by ditching the word saving because i don't think it actually reflects the changed world of pensions that we have now where people are investing their pension contributions and they are taking risks in the stock market and i think we need that precision of language and terminology to reflect that otherwise we're going to add a layer of mistrust and confusion and misunderstanding to this whole area that is unnecessary because it's already enough confusion mistrust and misunderstanding and it's going to be counterproductive in the long run and because young people are starting to discover investing they are starting to understand what investing means they're being targeted directly by share trading apps such as free trade and eToro Uh, they are becoming a bit more experimental in their financial behavior and they are getting comfortable taking risks And therefore, the pensions industry needs to understand that uh, and start to position itself so that it's part of those considerations that young people have about their their long-term finances, because a lot of these new apps are starting to offer their own pensions. Uh, And so those could be the the, the first, I mean, if you you log on to those apps, already as a as an enthusiastic customer who's regularly trading shares then if you see an option to open a pension then that might be the first time that, that you've ever had the word pension mentioned to you and therefore it's going to be the most natural thing in the world to go with that provider whether that's the right decision or not is a whole other matter i mean if people are learning how to invest their pension through share trading apps that send you notifications every time there's a, there's a new IPO, or which tell you uh, in, in quite an addictive fashion, how much your pot is going up every single day. And I think engenders quite a short-term attitude to investing. I'd argue maybe that's not the best way to start investing your pension, which we all understand is a very, very long-term thing. Um, but, but nonetheless, we, we have to accept that this is happening now, uh, coming back to you know what I said right at the top, that that genie is out of the bottle. Um, so, yeah, we are already seeing a lot of disruption um, for better or worse. Uh, and the pensions industry has got to be part of the conversation about investing uh, rather than the conversation about saving, which I don't think is an accurate reflection of the world of pensions today. People are not putting their money in a vault and locking it up for decades when they are uh, investing for their retirement. They are putting that money into the stock market with all the implications that brings for the economy and for the environment. Uh, And if we are not talking about the realities of the stock market and and the kind of, the realities of capitalism even, uh, then we're missing, I think, a golden opportunity to engage with younger savers. There we are. I've started doing it again now. Of younger members in in pension schemes, we're missing that golden opportunity to engage with them um, because we're creating this detachment. That that I think that we've that, that I think that's been the theme of our discussion really all throughout. That you know having this detachment from from your pension and being given permission to be detached from your pension is is really unhelpful. We do actually have to convey to young people: look, this pension pot is is a living breathing dynamic investment pot you know and um th- its outcome is dependent on your decisions it's not just dependent on how much you save into it how long you save into it but also you know how you invest it
0: yeah I I, I like the idea that you were talking about with kind of changing that language um about about savers and I think I could definitely see that happening especially with how much, um, how much talk there is about where your pension is being invested. Obviously, is yeah. ESG is such a big thing that is constantly being talked about. And yeah. so I, I can actually see the language changing a little bit. How, how much are traditional providers having to invest in technology just to keep up, do you think?
2: I think they're having to spend millions of pounds uh, just to keep up with these more nimble startups. Uh, and I think the smartest banks... Are the ones that are putting technology right at the front of, of their whole proposition. And I think the smartest investment companies are the ones that are um, going to win the app war. We need so much more investor education for young people. And I think the pensions industry need to step up and, and provide that because you know, I think gone are the days where people could just put their money into their pension and forget about it. And trust that one day that pot will come good and it will give them the retirement income that they deserve. We all know that we don't live in that world anymore. So that really puts, uh, that, that really puts the responsibility on the pensions industry to educate people about how, how they can get the most out of their pension pot. And like I said before, it's not just about telling them to save more from a younger age. It's about how they can do it in a, in a smarter way
0: yeah exactly and it all just comes back to that same thing about knowledge and as you said education
2: we shouldn't assume that just because um we're giving people information about their finances that that will somehow transform their behavior um i think that every financial company now has some kind of learning academy or course on their website and i don't know how much that is really engaging people and educating people and whether or not a lot of the time that's just a box ticking exercise. I think apps and educational material have to be designed with real human psychology in mind. They have to be solving an actual problem that people know they have and want to address. And that's easier said than done, particularly when it comes to something as far off and complex as your pension. Um, And I think whilst people are adapting to using their phones to manage their finances, um, and yes, Young people getting comfortable taking more risks with their money, I think we can forget sometimes that that people are still quite risk averse and conservative with small c when it comes to their finances overall. I think the rising popularity of a lot of financial apps out there is proof that they are working on some level for users and we've mentioned several examples throughout our conversation of when these apps are not only um, you know showing themselves to be uh, you know quite nifty but also really useful uh, and, and, and sometimes a bit of a lifesaver. Um, and you know, I've met people who work behind the scenes on chatbots, on auto savings apps, on different kinds of financial technology, and they really testify to the power of daily habit changing. You know, phones have got an addictive quality to them. We know this by now. A lot of us wake up with our phones and go to bed with our phones. So financial companies are just plugging into that in order to create some lasting behavioral change, because that could be the only way of us having some daily or weekly engagement with people. Um, We don't know if that approach will work, but it's worth trying because it's something that the financial industry has never done before. It's remained very aloof and detached from people's lives. Uh, And I just don't think that that position can hold in, in, in this new area of technology.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's a great point to end on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again so much um, for your time this morning. Thank you, Amy. And that is all for today's episode on FinTech. Special thanks to Iona Bain, Sam Seaton and Georgia Stewart, who all featured in this podcast. We hope that you've learned something new today and that this episode has been able to enlighten you a little bit more into how FinTech is impacting the pensions industry.